The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 673 for May 5th, 2019. Apple announces earnings following their mid-quarter revised guidance, Garmin announces new runner-focused wearables, and exactly how Apple Pay works. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. First up this week, Apple met their revised uh, guidance uh, expectations that they set earlier this quarter. They had forecasted originally revenue to be between 55 and $59 billion. That's down... Uh, excuse me, that's the revision that was down from the $61.1 billion. Uh, they did end up right in that range, $58 billion in revenue, uh, and generated $11.5 billion in profits. Uh, for the next quarter, you'll see $52.5 billion to $53.5 billion in revenue. That uh, is a Q3 2019 guidance that they're setting. So uh, similar to what they had this quarter, but uh, this was uh, very notable in that there is this uh, guidance revision that was done uh, halfway through the period and uh, very rare uh, to see that uh, not only from Apple, but just from companies in general. It is. But of course, with these kind of numbers and of course, the 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 amount of attention they get, because they're you know one of the biggest companies out there, uh, you know, everybody looks at them and they're, uh, you know, they're just heavily analyzed, heavily uh, influencing the entire market. But, you know, just taking a look at those numbers, 58 billion in revenue and, you know, 11 and a half billion in profit. That's huge numbers. I mean, the profit is massive. Uh that is very, very good profit percentage is you know, compared to the revenue. It's really quite stunning. Certainly the dividends are nice for those that own stock. And uh, the interesting thing this quarter was we learned uh, not long ago that they would no longer be releasing numbers of devices uh, that were sold during each of the periods. So we don't have any exact numbers for how many iPhones, watches, iPads, Macs were all sold. Um, but we do know that it was obviously less than uh, what was originally uh, provided. We also don't have a breakout of the services side like we used to. So um, the uh, we're, we're, we're a little bit in the dark on this one. There's some kind of speculation by the different analysts out there, but we won't get into that uh, other than to say that uh, they, they did uh, obviously make the, the revised guidance uh, appropriate for where they thought they were going to be, and they did indeed meet it. In other news, uh, an update to the Google Fi application this week lets you add visual voicemail now in iOS. If you go back to the launch of Google Fi, subscribers could receive voicemails as text messages, uh, but that displayed transcripts of in the standard conversation thread for your phone number. Uh, the message would include the number, length, and transcript if, to, if available, uh, and a reminder that users could call to hear their call into their voicemail to hear their message, but not the appropriate visual voicemail uh, that we've seen in uh, devices for the last decade. Now, with version 1.5 of Google Fi, visual voicemail is now available, and the application adds a fourth tab at the bottom bar. So you can read your message. Uh, your unread message count is noted at the top of the screen with a client, the client asking for contacts uh, and notification permissions during the setup. The list view uh, notes basic details like name, date, and length, as a visual voicemail system should, as well as the preview of the transcript. Tapping will expand the note to the full message and the option to easily hear the audio. Uh, there are shortcuts to put speaker call uh, back, uh, reply via text, and delete. As messages come in, users will be opened uh, with the standard notifications uh, to open and view them. It's amazing it took them this long to get to that visual voicemail. I mean, that's, of course, been in Google Voice for a million years. And that was, you know, one of the big features to even 
go for Google Voice is because of the voicemail. And I still use the Google Voice voicemail, even if I don't use Google Voice, you know, for dialing and receiving that much. But I still give out that number uh, a lot. But the voicemail system is just very handy to get the text message. But of course, then to be able to listen to the message because the text message is usually pretty catastrophically wrong. But it's uh, amazing they didn't launch with this. Yeah. And if you go back to kind of why it has to do with the fact that this was a system that was designed for the Android devices and the fact that you can use a, a Google Fi SIM and an iPhone is great, uh, but they had to come up with a way to get around this. Uh, and that way was using this application. So um, they are they, they did not create a there's there as the provider. There's no back end voicemail system that I guess could tie into uh, the phone itself in through iOS. So they had to do it through this separate application. Right. And that makes sense. I mean, I use the Google Voice app to listen to the voicemails for me. I have never once ever seen the visual voicemail system on an iPhone because I've never, ever used it. Actually, I've never set up my Verizon uh, voicemail account. It's very interesting you say that because I had a, an example this week where I received a phone call. Um, I don't know where I was. I was in an area of no service. I think it was in a basement or something. And um, I, I, the the call itself, which usually when a call comes in, and I have it so that if there's no answer, what do they call it? No answer call forward out to Google to do the, uh, the, the visual voicemail stuff. For whatever reason, it did not pick up and it went directly to the visual voicemail on the iPhone. I have no idea how it happened. So T-Mobile's actual voicemail. T-Mobile's actual, went, yeah. yeah, system. So no idea how that happened if it was uh, whatever the case was, but it was very strange. Now, um, it's not like this happens often or ever, and it, it has it's worked since. So it's not like it got shut off. It just happened to be like, you know, a, a tear in the matrix, if you will. Was it a spam call? It because was a spam call. That's why, because what they did was directly dial your phone. There's a, a backdoor and or a code. You can dump uh, voicemails into the system directly. Uh, do you remember we used to years ago used to call the the number to leave voicemails, right. not to call somebody, but to just leave a voicemail, and that's what they did. So that apparently that still exists. Then which, I guess so, which is crazy. This is what the new era of uh, robocalling. So we're going to just start uh, move on from calling the number to just dumping messages into your system. Yeah, Something and that's like that. actually been around for years, but it's not really common. Yeah, it was uh, it was just weird to see because uh, yeah, obviously when I went to I had a you know a badge notification on on my phone went to, I thought oh I missed a call how did that happen and I went there and I was like no nope, it wasn't a missed call it was a missed voicemail and I went what and then I I, I listened to it and it was uh, someone speaking in Chinese uh, which is uh, was not very helpful um, but uh, either way it was that that was what happened going back to the the voicemail thing though um, if Google Voice uh, and the voicemail service if you're using uh, it for nothing else is in and of itself a, a reason enough to watch uh, to, to have it. Um, there have been a number of instances where I have not had access to uh, cellular data, but I had access to regular uh, not cellular data, but it, like the cellular system. But I've had, had access to data. The perfect example of this is when you're on a plane. Uh, and wh why this is helpful is when you get a, vo a voicemail, um, obviously you get a uh, the, the an email sent to you or a text message sent to you or both. 
and then you can react to that. And so if you're on a plane and you have no cell service, but you have Wi-Fi, uh, you can see that a voicemail has come in and respond to it appropriately. You can, of course, listen to it because it's just the data uh, to download that versus actually uh, updating your visual voicemail on the phone, which I'm not sure that that works unless you've act- you're actually connected to the cellular system. Uh, but either way, it's it's handy to be able to triage and react to uh, to messages that come in. And so, and, and to your point, the transcription is not perfect. Um, hard, far from it, but it's hard to get that stuff done, uh, right. When you're, you know, look, going through so many different types of scenarios where people are calling and the, the audio is sometimes great, sometimes terrible, whatever, but, uh, I do love that. And, uh, certainly nice though, that, uh, for those that are using Google Fi on iOS devices that you now have this available visual voicemail in the new version 1.5 of the software in device news, a Best Buy store in Ohio accidentally put an unannounced new pixel phone on display this week. The long rumored pixel three a and three X XL seem to be more affordable versions of the existing pixel three models. The pixel three a XL on display has packaging confirming a six inch display smaller than the existing pixel three XL model. Both black and light purple colors are also confirmed. The design looks nearly identical to the existing model. Uh, The Google Annual Developer Conference starts this coming Tuesday, May 7th, where the company is widely expected to announce the new Pixel phones that we now know are coming. Uh, Garmin has five new Forerunner watches with GPS and heart rate monitoring designated for runners. All of these watches are designed to have always-on sunlight-readable displays, all-day activity tracking, water resistance, and a five-button design that works well with gloves. They have interactive running coach programs that train for 5K, 10K, or half-marathon races. So of these, you've got uh, three primary ones. The Forerunner 45S, this is the cheapest of the series at $199. Includes sleep tracking, multi-activity tracking as well. Two sizes, uh, 45 and 42 millimeter, and it comes with in a variety of colors as well. It will be available in May. Then you've got the Forerunner, a 245 Music, which adds a Pulse OX sensor, a VO2 Max tool, and the availability of connecting extra sensors like heart rate straps for Garmin's Running Dynamics Pod. The 245 Music adds storage for up to 500 songs, which can be MP3s or synced playlists from music streaming services like Spotify or Deezer. This is something, of course, I would love to see on the Apple Watch. Uh, The Forerunner 245 Series features up to seven days of battery life, 24 hours of GPS mode, six hours using GPS and music. It is available now, and the non-music version comes in a charcoal and burgundy edition for $300. That music edition with the storage for songs is 50 bucks more at $350. And finally, the Forerunner 945. Uh, this is the advanced uh, model with the Athletes that are doing things like uh, uh, training for triathlons can store up to a thousand songs, including that support for playlist syncing, onboard mapping, and Garmin Pay for contactless payments. It includes an additional activity profiles uh, that allows you to set for activities such as skiing, hiking, and golfing. It has two weeks of battery life, 36 hours in GPS mode, and 10 hours using GPS and music. Available for $600. The triathlon bundle for $750 includes extra sensor accessories, a blue band, and a quick release kit. So uh, obviously the the wearables market is one that is expanding uh, more and more as uh, people are finding that it is nice to have uh, a little computer on your wrist to be able to do more than just tell you the time. Yeah, and Garmin seems to be one of these kind of uh, long-term uh, you know, activity tracking ones that were even kind of out before the uh, Android and iOS watches for sure. 
and it's uh, they you know they keep releasing new models. Uh, you know, obviously the only other real competition is were the um, uh, the, the the Fitbits, you know, and those are still pretty popular, but they don't have nearly the functionality of a Garmin. They don't have, all, you know, all the GPS and all the, the backend uh, software that makes them very different as far as uh, uh, how they work. Of course, they're big, but they do, uh, they have their specialized purpose. And Garmin going up against the behemoths of Apple and Google for, of course, watch OS and wear OS. And each of those has got its own specific kind of purpose as well, where they're tied in more to the device itself for notifications and kind of, and again, more of like a, an OS light type of thing on your wrist. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Garmin's, you know, really big company themselves too, but it's, you know, totally different uh, in what they do. I mean, they have airplanes and cars and boats and everything else that they'd make equipment for. So it's a really different company. Indeed. And uh, speaking of uh, the Wear OS, uh, Google announced this week Tiles. This is a new feature of Wear OS bringing a set of widgets uh, with just a one swipe uh, action from the home screen to smartwatches. There are six tiles uh, that are available to start and Google promises to add more over time. The initial set includes goals, next event, forecast or weather, heart rate, headlines, and timer. Tiles replaces the Google Fit screen, uh, which is now Google Goals, now the Goals tile. Users can rearrange the tiles in any order they like, and they'll be rolling out to Wear OS smartwatches over the next month. In other software news, <clears throat> Microsoft has provided preview versions of Windows that extend notifications from your Android phone to your Windows desktop. Notifications on the phone are mirrored on Windows no on Windows notifications in real time, and notifications dismissed in Windows are also dismissed on the phone. The feature is part of the Windows Your Phone application, which lets users sync photos and messages and can mirror the whole phone interface within a window within Windows. So that's kind of a, a neat thing to have for if you're an Android user. It is. It kind of reminds me of iOS where, you know, if you've got your uh, uh, Apple uh, Mac computer with the notifications come up, but that's not actually the notifications from the phone. It's actually kind of the same services. So that's kind of a different uh, functionality. There's a Garmin, uh, the, 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 the boat Garmin actually has this uh, feature where it will, will show you any notification that comes up on your phone on your uh, GPS chart plotter screen on uh, on those uh, devices because they're linked via Bluetooth and Bluetooth sends out all the notifications that the device gets. So this is probably the functionality that they're using. And I'm kind of surprised they don't have it for iOS as well because obviously iOS supports this uh, same sort of thing. So it's kind of... Uh, uh, it's interesting. Of course, it doesn't do. I don't think it allows the dismissal of them. I, I, I don't think, but I'm not for sure about that one. Seems like it would be sandboxed to uh, to not allow that to happen. Um, you know, that handshake happens with the Apple Watch. Clearly, if you uh, get a notification on the phone, you can dismiss it, and and so that's nice to have. Uh, I I found something this week um, for those that are Windows users and iPhone users, and I'm sure people have thought about doing have been doing this for years and I just happen to be one of those late adopters to this but there's a way to lock your computer with your phone as kind of the handshake and that's a something um, that has I, I certainly appreciate so uh, if you've got your phone paired via Bluetooth to the computer and it leaves a proximity or it leaves the Bluetooth connection uh, then it locks the computer so it almost is like a, you have to have the phone by the computer and again that was not something that I had ever had set up and I set it up this week and it's very handy where I'll, uh, I'll be doing things at my desk and I'll quickly walk away from the computer to do something else um, and then come back and it'll still be unlocked and uh, everything displayed on the screen, which is generally not a big deal, but it's certainly nice to have that peace of mind that once the phone disconnects from the computer, that's going to auto lock for you. 
It is, and that is a relatively new feature in Windows uh, 10 as well. Okay, so it's not been happening that long. I wish it did the other side, though, too, where it unlock it when you came back in, similar to how uh, Mac OS uh, does that with the watch when you get your watch within uh, proximity of your, your Mac. But so be it. Uh, very interesting stuff there. Anyway, uh, in, uh, in other software news, Facebook is starting to roll out major redesigns of all of its major apps, including Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp. In the core Facebook app, the company is refreshing the design and refocusing the whole service to emphasize private groups over public posts. Different types of groups will now have new tailored features, such as job postings for job groups, anonymous questions for health groups, and in the dating area, users can now designate secret crushes among extended friend circles where Facebook will match people who crush on each other. The Messenger app is being re-engineered to be lighter and faster. It will introduce a new feature where friends can watch a video together and chat about it together, and a feature that collects stories from close friends into one place. In Instagram, a new camera interface includes a create mode for generating visual content from scratch without a photo or video. Instagram is also adding a new fundraising tool with 100% of funds going to nonprofits of the user's choice. Instagram has also started a phased rollout of in-app shopping for products promoted by creators. And finally, WhatsApp will soon be gaining a catalog feature where customers interacting with a business account can view a product catalog from that business. So a lot of updates there to their services. Questions and comments this week. First up, a question from Greg, and he says, Hey, Mickey, long time no talk. I wonder if you or Joey have any experience or knowledge about using the dual SIM capabilities of the iPhone, specifically the iPhone XS Max. Uh, I have one that is unlocked and also using it on either Patriot Mobile, which is, or on Patriot Mobile, which is an MVNO on the Sprint network. I bought the phone and a new Patriot, and now Patriot says their system does not support the dual SIM feature. I called Apple to see if they could clarify what may be going on, and they said that in the case of a CDMA carrier, you'll have to have the SIM card for the primary number and use an eSIM for the secondary number, which I guess makes sense, but I'm also guessing it's not very common and maybe Patriot hasn't gone, gotten enough requests for this yet. Uh, maybe the next step is to call Patriot or wait through all of the steps to get to a, uh, a higher advisor. Would love your thoughts on this, Greg. So, uh, Greg, let's talk just kind of fundamentally about how uh, this service works. So, the uh, the carrier uh, obviously you have to have a main carrier on the device. You have to have a SIM card in the device. There's no way to uh, set up the the virtualized number to have that secondary number without a SIM card in the device with the primary number. The carrier has certain requirements as well, so they will not generally let you create a virtualized number without having the primary number also be from the same carrier. So as in the example of T-Mobile, you can't get a T-Mobile number uh, and use that number um, as a virtualized number on a device that doesn't have a T-Mobile SIM card in it. Uh, and that is uh, partially because the devices that they sell are locked, but also because uh, they, I guess they just, that that's how they want it to be set up. Now, what I was ultimately trying to do, and the reason I know that is because I wanted my main number to be the the electronic or eSIM uh, number on the device and then put in a SIM card from another carrier uh, that I had uh, and, and, and run it that way. Uh, the other part of it is to your, what you found here is that you've got to have a CDMA carrier SIM card in the device. You can't have a virtualized uh, number from CDMA, so it's got to be physically have a SIM card in there. Uh, and then ultimately, I think after that, then you can add you can add in a virtualized number. So um, it's a it's definitely not a clear process. Uh, once you look into it a little bit, you kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing. But it's it, you would 
to, you would want to say, all right, I've got a new phone. I just grab a, an eSIM number. I don't have to deal with this physical piece of plastic anymore, but that's not necessarily the case. And to your point, Patriot Mobile um, is going to have its own subset of restrictions, I would imagine, as an MVNO on what they can and can't do. So um, my guess is that you might be able to um, create a second number with Patriot Mobile, assuming that you've already got a SIM. Um, they may not have it available yet, but my my guess is that, it, to your point, with enough steps uh, or enough uh, requests, they might start supporting this, um, and uh, and you might have might have some luck there. But I don't think it's ever going to be without having a SIM card already in the device. Right, and of course, that's just kind of the way it works. And and MVNOs, since they're not mainstream, they have more limitations on which devices and the software that they can get pushed out because, of course, your device has to support these MVNOs. You know, like when I pop that visible SIM card into the uh, phone, you know, they say you must have, uh, you know, the absolute latest iOS in order for this to work. And uh, otherwise, it won't even know what this SIM card is. So that's kind of, you know, one reason. And of course, this technology is pretty new to Apple and uh, they're still figuring it out. I was really encouraged when this first came out and uh, relatively disappointed when I figured out the limitations. And so I, I don't know that I will ever be using it because I don't necessarily have a use case for it. Uh, at one point, I thought it would be kind of neat to create a second number and have a second number as the, the number uh, as a work number. Um, I do have a, a, a Google voice number that I use for work purposes. And I thought about actually porting that in. And then after realizing that I would, it would actually, I'd have to of course pay for that uh, because you've got to pay for that additional number. And the fact that it was on the same carrier, it just didn't seem to make any sense to do it when I, number one, have the number for free on Google voice, but number two, then don't have to uh, deal with this, all, all this, I'll say the clunkiness of, of switching back and forth. Although Seems like it's it's not as big of a deal. Uh, the iOS side has really done a done a really good job of of streamlining that. But still, uh, it was it was something that I just moved on and said, all right, fine. Google Voice is is the answer for me here, and and so so be it. I don't use the service. Finally, today we've got a question from Patrick. He says, TCPJ, uh, when using Apple Pay or Google Pay, does each transaction generate a unique number, making it harder for a marketer to track you? Um, and then is there a disadvantage as a result uh, to that, on the other hand, of using mobile payments? Also, how much do you trust Face ID for unlocking your phone payments, logging into your banking applications, et cetera? Thanks, Patrick. All right, so a couple questions here, Patrick. First off, um, Apple says it does not save the transaction information or card numbers uh, that you have for your bank cards on its server. So it does make it from that perspective secure for the user. What it does, Apple Pay is a tokenized backend infrastructure. It makes card payments secure by creating a number or token that replaces your card details. And specifically, it creates a device account number for each one of your cards, which is assigned encrypted and then subsequently secured, uh, stored securely on that secure element of that dedicated chip on your iPhone or Apple Watch. So basically, it is taking your card number and creating a token based in that chip, and that chip is authorizing then to the uh, the the vendor that you're buying something from, and that's where the handshake is happening. So um, it's you're you're close on this one. Uh, basically, when a payment is initiated, a token is passed on to the retailer or merchant. The retailer or merchant therefore never has direct access to your card details. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's very similar to the the EMV chips, the the chip credit cards that you have, where that it is a token. If somebody's eavesdropping on that data connection, they they'll see the token, the the basically the generated token, but it has a very short lifetime, 
and it's um, something you don't really, uh, they can't really reverse engineer because it changes every time you make another transaction. So it's it's not like giving your credit card number out. Um, and of course, going back to the question of the making it harder for marketers track, it's, you know, tr credit card data isn't tracked that much, but it does because if you are, you know, purchasing something at Best Buy, for example, you know, they store your credit card number and they can see all the purchases you make. But this would be different because it is a tokenized, uh, a, a tokenized number every time you make a transaction and it is not the same each time. Yeah. And, and so there's no way for them to uh, to go back and and, you know, say, all right, this person, Bob, has gone um, kind of you know, to and bought all these different things. And, and ultimately uh, you're not going to have that, uh, you know, the advantage of being, you know, having that information uh, in one system, I guess. So, um, you know, the other side of it is if you are using a terminal uh, that is taking this information and say like a, I'm trying to think of a good example of this, like parking, uh, you know, and you say, all right, I use my credit card in this area uh, to, to, to get out of a parking lot and um, you don't get a receipt or anything for it. The and, and something happens. Uh, there's it's it's more difficult to go back in because you don't necessarily know the last four digits of your number that were used in this transaction to go back in and search for a transaction that actually happened. So there there is that side too. No, and I believe actually that's not uh, true because I have seen the number on the thing. And if you pull up on your watch or, or, or um, your iPhone, you can actually see the last four digits of the card number. Um, it shows you it's a different than your normal card, but it is there. So that that actually is uh, that's not I, I don't think that's true. All right. So that's fair. But you have to know to go back in to look for it. And right. And the other side of that is, is that number never changing? Is that always the same number? I guess I think that one's the same because I think they just use that as the as like one of the just identify identifier. So maybe they can link it, but I haven't looked actually to see if it changes or not. I haven't verified that one because it's, you know, something that doesn't come up that much for me because of course, don't use the Apple Pay that much, which I should I'll have to go back and look next time I make a few transactions. Um, but then going to the next question, is there a disadvantage? I don't think so at all. I think it's actually much more advantageous. And I don't know if any, if you've you know noticed using the the Apple Watch or the iPhone. Uh, I of course use my watch mostly, but um, compared to those stupid chip readers that take a, a century to read the card, uh, the Apple Watch is just a quick you know quick beep chirp and you're done with the uh, the transaction. Uh, it, it's so much faster than those uh, chip cards. It's so much faster. It's so much more convenient. I, there's a there's a, a feeling of security too when you use it because you're, there's there's nothing uh, other than this handshake that's happening. You're not physically giving any piece of plastic to anybody, anything like that. Um, you know, and, and so I absolutely uh, you know appreciate and uh, and want to continue to see the utilization of this thing increase because it just makes all the sense in the world uh, to be able to do this. And uh, so it's it's a very interesting process uh, that happens clearly. And um, I'm not sure that we got the full kind of the, the, the answer to your question there other than to say um, it is not the card number that is on your card that is going through. Uh, it is a, a, a randomized number that is going through that may or may not change over time. But um, to the second half of your question, Patrick, on trusting of face ID. Um, there's a, a couple of things to note with this. So certainly it is uh, more secure than a to let's just say you make a payment with um, a tokenized a virtualized number system than handing a physical credit card over to a merchant um, because there there is uh, 
you know, virtually no way that they're going to steal this number uh, that is being, you know, transacted between your phone and the terminal. Uh, but as far as the overall face ID itself and, and how that should be trusted, I think uh, the well, I know the, the 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 security that it is that it provides over doing a, um, a, a fingerprint reader is higher. Uh, certainly it's not perfect, but it's it's a much more secure method of of authorizing you as the user of that service than anything else that's come about as of yet right so you use face id on your iphone uh and i've i've got it on my new ipad uh i do use it because it's really it's almost your only choice i mean you can enter your passcode in every time and yes apple uh there's been no reports of the secure enclave being hacked or utilized uh for uh, somebody to be able to steal your biometric data including your face id so basically for all these applications, uh, including unlocking the phone for payments and for bank apps, uh, which I basically use all of those uh, with the Face ID and the Touch ID on the you know the older devices. Uh, basically, it's just going in and you know verifying yes or no this this is the authorized person of this device. So these applications and like the bank apps, for example, you know they look for okay, is this authenticated? Is this authenticated? And it's yes or no, and the ref- the phone responds back to the application saying, yes, this is authenticated or no, this is not. You know, this is when you see the failure. Let's say you put your fingerprint on the wrong or you look at the thing wrong and it, you know, denies you access. Uh, that's what the app sees, yes or no. So it's, uh, it is secure uh, as far as, uh, you know, I've seen and I, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, and, and I would use it just for its simplicity because there is no... Uh, uh, disadvantages or uh, miss or, or any reason to mistrust it at this point. Yep, absolutely. Um, I was going to say that I use it for any app that asks for or access to it because <clears throat> it just provides that additional layer, um, which I find to be uh, very helpful. So, in fact, even with my banking applications, it's a it's a multiple factor authentication. Um, so it uses the uh, the face ID to. Pr- punch in the credentials and then it sends a text message to the device itself um, as well. So you've got that two factor uh, process there. So that gives me even more comfort in it there too. So if you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call to uh, 650-999-0524 or send email to questions at the cell phone junkie dot com like greg and patrick did and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show joey thank you very much as always for your time we'll talk to you later thanks for listening for more information about the stories you've just heard visit us at the cell phone junkie.com.